David said, The Lord, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the bear, the Lord will save me from the hand of Goliath. And so King Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love asking people questions, and I think sometimes it drives my family crazy. I always have ten questions circling through this Rolodex in my mind to get conversation going, whether I'm at a family dinner or I'm out at a restaurant with strangers. I love asking questions. And among Christians, among church folk, my favorite question to ask is, what's your favorite story from the Bible? What's your favorite story from the Bible? And there are a lot of people who, when I ask that question, their first response is, I love the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And I say, that's not a story. That's just a psalm. What's your favorite story from the Bible? Your favorite story. I asked one of our church members this morning, what's your favorite story from the Bible? And she said, Ben-Hur. I said, that ain't in Scripture. What is your favorite story from the Bible? I love asking this question. And there is a group of people, they're called middle school boys. I don't know if any of you have ever encountered one of them before. They usually smell bad. They have zits on their face. They don't know who they are. Their voice kind of goes like this. Middle school boys love the story of David and Goliath. When I go on mission trips, there's middle school boys, I ask the question, what's your favorite story from the Bible? And I have yet to meet a middle school boy who did not say with resounding force, David and Goliath is my favorite story from the Bible. I thought about that. Why do middle school boys love this story more than anybody else? Well, perhaps part of it is because when you're a middle school boy, it's the first time you really encounter bullies. You know, boys who are bigger than you. It's when wedgies start. And so when you encounter young men who look and seem like Goliath, you necessarily would feel like David. You would want God to give you the strength to defeat that bully. So that kind of makes sense. And then I realized that's that probably not what it is. It's that when you're in middle school and you're a boy, girls have already hit puberty and they're 11 feet tall and boys wait a couple years and so they're 3 feet tall and so they're looking up at these girls they call Goliath. And girls are very frightening to boys when they're in middle school. David and Goliath. It's a great story. It's such a good story that most of you already knew it before John read it. David runs out to the middle of the field. He takes this stone. He puts it in the sling. And we get this weird detail that when it hit Goliath in the forehead, it sunk into his skull and then he dies. Israel is victorious. The end. But of course, there's a lot of great details before that. The writer won't let us leave without some of these other details. David is not even supposed to be there. David is a young shepherd boy. The only reason he's there is because his brothers are in the army, and they're hungry. He's bringing them lunch. He's bringing them lunch, and the Philistine army is in the distance. It's the greatest army the world has ever seen up to that point. They're so terrifying that they just send one of their own, Goliath. Scripture says Goliath was 10 feet tall, that he wore an armor that weighed 150 pounds. 
They send the Goliath forward, and Goliath says, I will fight your greatest warrior, and whoever wins, wins on behalf of their whole army. So you think King Saul should go. He's the king of the Israelites. He's a warrior. He should go. And little David shows up and says, I'll go. And Saul says, are you out of your mind? You're a little boy. He is a warrior. David says, oh no. When I used to tend my father's flock and I encountered lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I would rip them by the jaw and I'd crack their skulls open. I will defeat this Philistine. And Saul says, okay, go for it. And he puts all his armor on him. Imagine you can, you became like a four and a half foot tall boy trying to wear armor for someone that's six feet tall. It's dragging behind him as he's making his way to the battlefield. He says, this is just holding me down. He throws it off. He picks up five smooth stones. And Goliath sees him and says, oh, I am going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. And little David says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to feed you and your entire army to the birds. And you can imagine the scene. You can imagine Goliath laughing, carrying this giant sword, and running forward to David. And he takes that stone, and he slings it. It sinks into his forehead, and he dies. David and Goliath. I contend that this is perhaps the most well-known story in the Bible. Middle school boys love it. But if we're honest, it's not just for boys with B.O. and zits and cracking voices. It's a paradigm for so many beloved stories. It is the underdog story. David defeats Goliath. Rocky, remember the Titans. Rudy, the Karate Kid. Hoosiers, the Mighty Ducks. Slumdog Millionaire, Tin Cup, Cool Runnings, and Revenge of the Nerds. I could go on and on of stories of David defeating Goliath. And that's just the movies. That doesn't include the TV shows or the sporting events or the books. We are beyond fascinated with underdog stories, with Davids who defeat their Goliaths. We love rooting for the hero that appears to have no chance of winning. Maybe there's something in us that just loves the least likely victor who triumphs over evil. And when the story is preached, when someone like me ascends to a place like this, the sermon is almost always about encountering our own giants. Preachers like me will say to people like you, we will all face our own Goliaths. For some of us, it's depression. For others of us, it's debt. For some of us, it's directionlessness. And like David, we just have to have faith that God will be with us and we will win. There are so many sermons exactly like that. So many, in fact, that when I went looking for a different kind of sermon this week, through all of my collections of sermons in my office and online, I couldn't find one. And then I grabbed my textbooks and my commentaries that are all around my office, and they all had the same thing to say. We all face Goliaths, and God will give us the strength to persevere. But here's the thing. We're not David. We're not David. Most of us here aren't even like the Israelites cowering in the corner of the battlefield wondering about their future. Most of us have never experienced a moment of fragility such that everything about who we were or are would be decided in a single moment by the least likely of people. Most of us don't know what it's like to put our whole trust and faith into something we cannot see. We're not David. 
We're not Israel. If we're anybody in this story, we're Goliath. Now, I know that this isn't good news. We don't go to the movies to root for the bad guy, and we certainly don't like coming to church to hear about how bad we are. But, and this is hard, when we encounter the strangeness of the story, when we try to start identifying ourselves with particular people in the narrative, we have to be honest with ourselves. We are not like David. We are not like Israel. A foreign country full of might and power is about to change the stage for the entire world. The Philistines have everything. They've got all the power, all the wealth, the army, the weapons, the armor. They even have a Goliath. The Israelites have nothing. Nothing. They are a ragtag group of would-be followers of Yahweh with a king who can't even muster up the courage to walk onto the battlefield with no hope except for the hopeless shepherd boy named David. Friends, we are like the Philistines. As Americans, most people in the world either fear us or want to be like us. We hold all the cards. We have all the power. We have the greatest military the world has ever known. We hold the promise for anyone of a better life. And we not only stand like a beacon on a hill for everyone else to see, we want to be the beacon that everybody else can see. It has been a strange and terrifying week in our country. While I was spending time last weekend at annual conference with all of the other Methodists from Virginia, the first images and videos and sounds were released from the detention centers near the border with Mexico. Hundreds of children could be seen in cages made of metal, with scattered bottles of water, bags of chips, and metallic bank blankets thrown haphazardly around. And for as awful as those videos and those images were, the audio clips were even worse. Recordings came to the surface of children screaming for their parents, some of whom were forcibly taken away while breastfeeding. Others were told, hey, we're going to give your kid a bath, and they never saw them again. As more and more reporting came out, and more and more churches spoke out, the administration eventually ended their policy of separating families as a deterrent for illegal immigration. And we think... We're like David in the story. We are not. We are Goliath. We look down on those who flee from absolute terror and we say, hey, come to us. We'll tear your families apart. We'll treat you like the animals we think you, we think you are. And just as every Goliath does, we need our David. We need our defeater. We need to be struck dead in the forehead about our foolishness. We need to be taken down a peg or two or three. We need a mirror that shows us who we really are. Because for as much as we like to think that we are not the politicians who pursue this policy of family separation, this is who we are. This isn't about who is in the Oval Office or what political animal is ruling the country. It's about who we are. It's about recognizing who we are in this story. That this is our responsibility. And that we can't just pass the blame onto somebody else. We are Goliath. We need a David. But we don't need the David. We don't need a handsome shepherd boy of Jesse. No, we need the new David. We need Jesus. 
We need Jesus to smack us in the head, not with smooth stones, but with the hard wood of the cross. We need to be brought low before we can be raised high. We need to be defeated in order to be redeemed. This story of David and Goliath is so beloved because we love seeing good win out. We love it when the tables are unexpectedly turned. We love believing in impossible possibilities. And of course, there will be times where we feel like David. We will experience things like depression and debt and directionlessness. They will all feel like mighty Goliaths blotting out the sun. And at those moments, it will be good for us to hope in the Lord that we will prevail, that God is with us. But the one thing we never talk about is how much we're like Goliath. The ways we lord ourselves over others, whether it's a different race or gender or age or sexuality or socioeconomic status, the ways we dismiss those who are at the border or in another country or in another community, the ways we demean those we deem unworthy. And so for as much as this story is a a reminder to us of God's presence in the midst of our Goliaths, it's also about what happens to Goliath, what happens to you and to me. God will not leave us in power. God will not leave us to break down the oppressed and reject the weak. God will not leave us alone. God delivers to us the new David, a shepherd boy born among the animals, to bring down the towers of power we have constructed for ourselves. Jesus, Jesus, thanks be to God, runs into the battlefield of our lives and says, stop. Jesus grabs us by our collars and delivers the truth, the hard truth. You are Goliath. But you don't have to be. There is a way, a better way. It's the way. The Lord does not save by sword and spear. The Lord does not redeem the world through giants and Goliath. The Lord sustains the world through water and word. The Lord redeems us through a little boy born to a virgin. The Lord saves us through Jesus. And in God's kingdom, this kingdom, even Goliaths get saved. Thanks be to God. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.